we can be more like you each and every day. Lord, we've mentioned these uh, prayer requests to you tonight. We lift them up to you. We ask that your spirit uh, come and minister to these people that are in the hospital, that are home, or that are grieving the loss of a loved one. May your peace uh, fill their, their hearts and minds and understand that your grace is all sufficient. Thank you for John and his willingness to come and share tonight. May our hearts and minds be open and receptive to that which you would want us to learn. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. So my last name is Moody, and I'm occasionally asked if I'm related to Dwight L. Moody. You know Dwight L. Moody? Yeah. And the answer is, yes, we have the same father. Now, some of you will get that a little later. You got it? Now, I'm going to use the, uh, I'm going to use the Bible tonight, which, you know, it's a church. Wouldn't that be good to use a Bible, right? Right? Yeah? Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say hello. All right, good. I just want to make sure, make sure the mic's working, make sure that y'all can talk. So I, I'm, I equate the Bible with the rest of literature, you know. If we're going to take uh, other literature as accurate, then we need to take the Bible as accurate, you know. I was having a conversation with a young man who said he was an atheist. You know, um, my opinion is that atheists, by definition, really don't believe in anything, you know. Atheists say they don't believe in God. Well, really, they don't believe in anything. You know, they don't believe that the chair that they're, that y'all are sitting in will hold them up, you know. They don't believe that driving over a bridge is going to hold, hold them up, you know. And so I kept talking about faith, and I said, you know, if you drive across that bridge, you've got to have faith. He said, what do you mean? Well, you've got to have faith in the contractor that built the bridge or this is not going to fall in knowing that it was the lowest bid who got the contract, right? So, uh, now there are books outside of the Bible that talk about the subject of heaven and hell, okay? Uh, have you read 90 Minutes in Heaven? Anybody read 90 Minutes in Heaven? Do you know, do you know um, what's his name? Um, what's his name? Piper. Anybody know him? Everybody heard him speak? You heard him speak? Yeah. Yeah, so he came to the church that I was at, at, that I was serving at in Houston, and so my responsibility was to check references. You know, like, is he going to be good? Is he going to be, you know, okay? And so his book is 90 Minutes in Heaven. And the reference I got back said, I can tell you that he spent 90 minutes in the pulpit, for sure. <laughs> and, and he did, okay? And... Uh, there's no doubt that he had this experience, okay? Um, personally, you know, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. So if he, if he died, if he did die and went to heaven, he wouldn't have come back. That's just my opinion, okay? There's another book, uh, 23 Minutes in Hell. Anybody read that book? 23 Minutes in Hell. I've not read that book. But the author bases all of his uh, evidence on hell on Scripture. 
He's a Christian, so he bases all of you know. So, you know, uh, that's why I say if we're going to take one, one work of literature, we have to take all literature and put them to example. And I talk, talked to this atheist, as I was talking about, and I said, the, the answers to everything you're seeking is in the number one bestseller of all times. And he said, I've got to get a copy of it. You know, well, it's, it happens to be the Bible, you know. Um, now, I have a family member who was near death, and they, they told me about seeing a bright light. You know, anybody had that? Uh, yeah, you had that? Okay. They saw a bright light. Uh, they, uh, they saw family members, you know. But they're still alive. To th- this person is still alive today. Now, we're going to look at uh, Luke 16, uh, verses 19 through thir- 31. So open your app or your Bible, whatever you're more comfortable with. And this parable is uh, a rich man and a poor man. I think this scripture is the best evidence in scripture that we have of a comparison between heaven and hell. Uh, you're going to see a rich man and a poor man. You're going to see how their fortunes are exactly going to be reversed at the time of death. The poor man goes to heaven. The rich man is going to suffer in hell. And in agony, the rich man, you'll see, is going to cry out in, in agony for uh, assistance. And he, he wanted his brothers to be warned. You're going to see that. And the, the brothers also had access to the teachings of Abraham, the patriarch of, of the uh, Jewish faith. And, but, but even the, the, the Pharisees are, are all emotional about Jesus anyway, and particularly when you talk about the resurrection. And you know, when Jesus is going to raise another person, another man named Lazarus from the dead, not even that miracle is going to sway the religious Jewish leaders. So the, the people of the day... Back, th- back then, they had already seen Jesus raise one person from the dead. That's in Luke chapter 7. And then he's going to raise uh, Lazarus from the dead. And then who else is going to raise from the dead? Jesus himself is going to raise, raise from the dead. Okay, And then he would not die. He would ascend to heaven. So there's all this evidence for the Jews to believe about um, people being raised from the dead in addition to the miracles that Jesus was performing, you know, healing the sick, rejecting demons, but they still rejected Jesus and eventually led him to, uh, to be uh, crucified on the cross. So the lesson for us today, I'll go ahead and tell you what the lesson for us today is, that w- none of us need to be deceived. It's easy for us to, for our hearts to grow hard, continually resisting the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. So we need to every day consistently Set, a time, set aside a time for God to soften our hearts by staying in the Word, staying in the Bible, and reading it every day. Now, if you don't, if you don't have a quiet time, let me just give you a commercial. Find time to have a quiet time with the Lord. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It, it doesn't have to be at night. It's the time when you're at your best, okay? I heard an old preacher say that he has his quiet time in the morning because it didn't make any sense to him to put on the whole armor of God and then go to bed. Okay, that was just that's just the way he looked at it. Now, um, at your tables, okay. Here's what I want you to answer this question at your table: What is heaven and hell like? Ready, go. What is your 
What is your perception of heaven and hell? Ready, go. Thirty seconds. What do you imagine heaven and hell to be like? Okay, time's up. Somebody tell, somebody speak from the uh, from your table to the larger group. What do you imagine heaven to be like? Heaven's where Jesus is. Okay. Yes, sir. Non-perishable foods. That's what heaven is like, okay? You know, I heard this, that there, there is a requirement for Baptists to get into heaven. And it is that we have to take a covered dish. Okay? What else? What, is he- what do you imagine heaven to be like? Peaceful. Yeah. Pure. Beautiful. Busy, yeah. We'll have a job to do. Sinless, absolutely. Okay. What do you imagine hell is like? Hot? Hopeless? Forever? Torment? Over here, somebody said? Dark, yeah. Absence of God. There's not a cute little character dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork in hell. A little cartoon character. Hot Stuff is his name. Hell's not hot stuff. There's nothing like hot stuff in heaven. It's not a cute little person running around. Okay, do you like a good joke? I like a, I like a good joke. All right. So uh, I had a ministry where uh, a group of us would go once a week and read with fourth graders. I mean, it just happened to be fourth graders was the time that we could go. And so we would help them learn to read. One year I had this uh, little white kid that was illiterate. I mean, he, and I ended up writing a story about why he struggled with reading. His mother had to drop out of school as a sixth grader because she had a learning disability and couldn't read. And back then all they could do is put, put the children with uh, the special needs and she didn't feel comfortable there. And so she couldn't read, so her boy struggled to read. And she, she told me that, you know, if he has a note sent home from school, I can't read it. If, has, if I have a prescription, I can't read it. So um, the next year, though, I had this little boy that was brilliant, okay? So we didn't spend a lot of time reading. We just spent a lot of time talking. And he said, Mr. Moody, you like jokes? I love, I love a good joke. He said, well, here's the punchline. I'm going to tell you the punchline. First, the punchline is psychology. Okay, you got it? Y'all got it? That's the punchline. So this lady dies, and she ends up in heaven, and she gets to where she can see the pearly gates, and there's a long line, single file. And the, the line's moving very slowly, and as she, the closer she gets, she can see that's St. Peter at the gate. And St. Peter is asking each applicant is speaking to each applicant personally. So the closer she gets, 
she can hear what St. Peter is saying. And St. Peter says, God, spell God. And the applicant goes, G-O-D, yes, you can come in. So the lady gets up there and says, you know, what's going on? And St. Peter said, you know, we had such a backlog that God wanted to process everybody quickly, so he said, come up with a spelling test and make it very easy because I want everybody to get into heaven. Oh, look, I just got paged to the office, so would you take my place? And he said, what do I do? St. Peter says, God, G-O-D. So she stands there. The applicant comes, and she says, uh, God wants everybody to get in, so there's a spelling test. Please spell God. The applicant says, G-O-D. Yes, you can come in. So she's there for a very long time, and her husband shows up in line. And she looks at him, and she says, Honey... It's really great to see you. And he said, it's really great to see you. And she said, what are you doing here? I mean, I know what you're doing here, but what happened? And he said, well, I was, the last thing I remember, I was driving in this 18-wheeler. It was just a blur. And he said, I guess we collided, and I, I died at the scene, and here I am. And she said, well, it's really good to see you. And he said, it's really good to see you, too. You know, when, when you died at first, I was so lonely. And then after about 30 days, I met the most wonderful woman. And she was a much better cook than you were and a much better housekeeper than you were. And I, I'm really happy. And she said, well, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Now, God wants everybody to get in, so he's come up with this word that you need to spell. And here's your word. Acetaminophen. So the fourth grader said, you know, everybody can spell psychology. And I'm thinking, you know, on a good day, I don't know that, that I could spell psychology. Now, I don't tell any jokes about hell. I used to, but I quit doing that when I realized how terrible it is, a place that people need to go. So I don't do that anymore. I don't even look at my favorite running back and say that was a blank of a run. You know what I mean? No. No. It's either a great run or a terrible run, but it's not a blank of a run. Okay? I never use that word unless I'm referring to the place that we're going to look at right now. All right, Luke 16. Let's look at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this... Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. 
And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So, let's look at, let's unwrap this scripture. So, Jesus had just finished uh, talking to the Pharisees or about the Pharisees and their attitude toward money in the early part of this chapter. And so now he's giving a vivid illustration of what the value of money is in light of future judgment. Now, this Lazarus is not the same Lazarus from Bethany. Okay? This is a different person. And incidentally, this is the only person in any of Jesus' other stories that has a name. You know? And so I think this is a historical event. I think this is something that really happened that Jesus was aware of. Now, the rich man in this uh, story lived out the lifestyle afforded to the wealthy who lived in the Roman Empire. You know, there were two classes, rich and poor, back then. You know, the rich man had splendid clothing. He had uh, his choice of food, and he lived the days, all his days in the lap of luxury and uh, surrounded by people that he could afford to do things for him. Now, in contrast you have this diseased beggar. Scripture says that he had uh, sores. So, again, no middle class here, either ri very rich or very poor. And the very poor spent their time serving the very rich. Often the poor, and you know this, was they were reduced to having to beg in order to just get by. So this man, Lazarus, is sick, he's hungry, He's abandoned, so he's laying at the door of the rich man, longing for the scraps that, that the rich man probably gave to his dogs. So the leftovers, if this was the best food you could, uh, you could buy, the leftovers had to be fabulous. So a good place for Lazarus to hang out in order to get some food. But the rich man chose to spend the money on himself and not on the servants. Probably he never even noticed the poor man laying at his door. Now, having money is not sinful, but it's what we do. You know, it's how we abuse things that, that results in the sin. So while he had everything that he, that he could want, everything that money could buy, Lazarus lays at the front door hungry, and even the dogs, Scripture tells us, are licking his sores. So it's a very graphic image here going on. Now, the, the uh, name Lazarus actually means the one God helps. So it's a great name to have. So the Pharisees considered wealth to be part of a person's, a person's righteousness. In other words, if the, the more wealthy you were, the more in tune or closer you were with God. Do you, do you know uh, the term May-December marriage? That's when a, a, a much older man marries a younger woman. You know, May-December marriage, what that's called. I had, uh, I knew a May-December marriage when I was in the oil industry. Uh, he was 80, she was 20, okay? Now, uh, and they really loved each other. I mean, I, I, they really did, okay? And uh, as you might can imagine, the older, um, the, the man is near death, okay? So he's on his deathbed, and 
you know, one by one, his, uh, his children from his previous marriages are, are filing past to pay their respects, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And the last one in line is the little 20-year-old, soon-to-be widow. And he said, uh, you know, honey, do you love me? And she said, you know I do. And, and she really did. And he said, would you do something for me? You name it. And he said, you know, you know how much I love my money. And that was a fact. You know, he really loved his money sometimes more than he did anything else. And he said, I'd like to be buried with it all, every cent. Well, she promised. So he passes away, and as the caskets, people are filing by the casket. She's the last one in line, and the, the congregation watches as she leans over and kisses the body and lays an envelope in the casket. And it was his money. Yeah, she wrote a check, you know. So she wasn't that dumb, as we say, you know. So just like this, this man in this story, you know, the man in the Scripture loved his money more than he loved anything. But again, it's not the amount of money you have. It's what you choose to do with it. All right, look at this quote by Billy Graham. He says, Hell was not prepared for man. God never meant that man would ever go to hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but man rebelled against God and followed the devil. Hell is essentially and basically banishment from the presence of God for deliberately rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some of you gave that answer. You know, hell is the absence of God. Now, Billy Graham was often a guest on the Larry King show. Remember Larry King? Larry King's talk show? And so... Uh, I ordered this particular episode because it was so intriguing. It was right after uh, the little girl Jean Benet Ramsey was murdered. You remember her in Boulder, Colorado? Question to Billy Graham by Larry King Do you think she was an angel? Billy Graham said, Well, you know, I've never seen an angel, but I can imagine that she, that angels look like something like, like Jean Benet Ramsey. So then the question was, the the first question that our pastor covered in this series. Why do bad things happen to good people? And you watched as Billy Graham masterfully takes Larry King from the Garden of Eden all the way to the cross. And Billy Graham said, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, but God had another plan. That plan included Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for everyone. Larry King says... Everyone? Yes, everyone, Billy Graham says. Even me, a Jew, Larry King asked. Everyone. So then Larry King says, okay, what happens to me, Larry King, when I die if I've not accepted Jesus Christ, as you say I need to do? And Billy Graham started squirming. And he said, well, I don't want to answer that. But the Bible says that you'll be separated from God forever and will end up in hell. And Larry King said, let's go to a commercial. Now, I picture Larry King as a seeker. I picture him as someone who was spiritually investigating <clears throat> the claims of Christianity. I don't know to this day if he's ever crossed over from his current beliefs to be a Christian, but Billy Graham took the opportunity to address the question in a way that Larry King could understand. So, the time came, the beggar dies, 
And the angel carries him to Abraham's side, as it says in verse 22. And the rich man also died and was buried. In hell, he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So both die. Both men die, which tells us that death is not a respecter of anyone. It affects the wealthy and the poor, the old and the young, equally. And Jesus revealed nothing of their spirit, these two men's spiritual state, but it can be assumed that the wealthy man is spiritually bankrupt. You know, he's got this emptiness inside due to his self-absorption in, in his wealth. So the, rever- the verse reveals the truth of that assumption as the rich man ends up where? Yeah, in hell and in torment, Scripture says. The Greek word there is the place for departed spirits. That's what it means, the realm of the dead, the destiny of those who have refused to believe. You know? Now, if you, if you look ahead at verse 24, it describes it as flames, and I think somebody said hot as one of the, the descriptions of hell. All right? So added to the torment, if that's not bad enough, to be in flames was this man's, the rich man's ability to see the other side, the good side. Okay, and and I also told this atheist one day that you know I said, why are, why are we even arguing about the existence of God? You know, you're arguing about something that you don't believe exists. So why why are we arguing about it? Why are you getting so upset? If he doesn't exist, you know, let's let's just move on. You know, and. and and he, he wouldn't go on. He wouldn't let it go. And I said, well, I'll just tell you this. When you die, you, won't, you will no longer be an atheist. Right? That's right. Here's the man. Here's the proof. Here's the rich man who can see his present state, and he can see the good side. Now, where's Lazarus? Scripture says he's in a place of peace and luxury. Okay? And the role reverser here is obvious. As Lazarus lays outside very needy, once in pain at the door of the rich man, watching him feast. So here's the rich man in torment, watching the joy from heaven. So we've got a role reversal here. So Lazarus, we can assume, must have been a God-fearing man. He ends up in heaven, despite the fact that God did not grant Lazarus an easy path. Okay? Have you had an easy path lately? You know? As soon as you became a Christian, everything was perfect, right? Smooth sailing, no controversies, right? God doesn't promise us that. God promises, though, that I'll be with you always, okay? So, Lazarus shares the privilege of the highest of the Old Testament saints. He has angels escort him into heaven. Verse 24, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. So, he's, the rich man speaks to Father Abraham, a title that any Jew would use for Abraham, the father of a nation. Notice the request for Abraham to send who? Lazarus. See that? Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water. That's really, it's really not an understatement here. I mean, it really is an understatement because it's not just the tip of the, a tip of the finger in the water. He's actually asking Lazarus to send enough water to quench his thirst, to quench his thirst. But see, the attitude's still the same with the rich man. For all this, for all this uh, deference to Abraham, he still thought of Lazarus no more than just a messenger at his bidding. 
But Abraham says, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Abraham sent an answer, right? Not the answer that the rich man was looking for. The rich man may have thought, surely there's a mistake. You know, if, I'm, if I had been rich, if I'm rich, and wealth is a sign of God's blessing, then why am I where I ended up to be? So Abraham gives the answer, calling the rich man child. You see that? He calls him child, a sign of compassionate, maybe a sign of sorrow that, you know, maybe you made a mistake, maybe you've chosen poorly. So the rich man had received all good things during his life, and Jesus called them your good things. You see that? That had been the rich man's choice. He could have enjoyed wealth and chosen other good things. You know, there are people that are very wealthy that love to give all their money away. You know, that, that's a good thing. Instead, the only good things he had chosen was his own personal pleasure. Now, Lazarus received, notice what it says in Scripture, Lazarus received only evil things. But notice it doesn't say his evil things. In other words, the evil that Lazarus had experienced was not the result of any sin or any foolishness that he had done. So the roles for eternity would be reversed here. Lazarus went from pain and hunger to comfort, the rich man from pleasure and merriment to agony. And this would have unnerved the Pharisees who were listening to this story because to them, wealth is a sign of blessing. Even the disciples, even the twelve, asked Jesus, if the wealthy are not good enough to have eternal life, then what's in it for us? You know, look at the rich man, the rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler. So they enjoyed their wealth, but they, they would not attempt to bridge this chasm that separated them. So anything that we use and put ahead of God is wrong. If we put our wealth ahead of God, if we put our hobbies in front of God, if we put our work in front of God, anything we put in front of God is not good. So, again, wealth is not wrong because not all rich people are going to hell, right? Right? Compared to other countries, we are rich, okay? But the temptation is great to use what God has given us for His glory, no matter how much we have. So, look at verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So Abraham explains to the rich man that he couldn't send Lazarus because between the two is this great chasm that's been fixed that no one can cross over. So the ultimate fates cannot be changed. When a person dies, when, let me rephrase this, when an unbeliever dies, there's no opportunity for a second chance. Right? Right? That's right. So, God's decision upon death is final. Now, for us, we get to live again. If we have a relationship with Christ, we get to live again. So there's only one life on earth, and at the time of decision, we accept Christ. When we die, we continue to live with Christ. Somebody said that. That's where Jesus is, in heaven. So you can't, you, people can't wait in eternity to get things right with God. Some do. 
Some wait until the very last minute on their deathbed to make things right with God. Okay, But that's not really the best, the best place to do it. Verse 27. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them about this place of torment so they won't have to come here when they die. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read their writings anytime they want to. Got another quote. Here we go. This is Leon Morris, who is an Australian New Testament scholar. Look what he says. God has no need of marionettes, puppets. He pays men the compliment of allowing them to live without him if they choose. But if they live without him in this life, they must also live without him in the next. So the, sir, you agree? Good. Rich man still thought Lazarus could be sent on messenger duty. If Lazarus could not come to help him, then he wanted Lazarus, Lazarus to go warn the five brothers so they won't make the same mistake. So apparently the rich man had some concern for his family. You know, he did have concern for something other than his mother. But he thought that his brothers would surely believe a messenger who uh, had been raised from the dead. So Abraham simply explained to him, according to Scripture, that the brothers can read the, the law and the prophets for themselves, that is, the Old Testament, and decide about the warnings about this place of torment. If those brothers hadn't heeded the major message of God in, in his word, they wouldn't need a messenger. Verse 30. Let me ask you this. Why is it so difficult for people to be convinced of God's ways? Why is it so difficult for people to be convinced of God's ways? It's a very simple way to heaven, right? And, and I had a guy say, you know, why don't you Christians just tell us how to do it? <laughs> well, we did, you know. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So why do you think, you know, have we made it too complicated for people? Holy Spirit's got to be there. Exactly right. And, and it's like good comedy. It's all in the timing, you know. Because you can, be, you can be speaking your guts out, trying to lead somebody to Christ and just be hitting a brick wall. Well, it's not time, okay? It's not time. Why is it so difficult for people to be convinced? So they need something tangible, yeah, something to put there. And if, if everybody can have it, then is it really that good? You know, if it's that easy, you know, is it that good? People are in a hard spot that makes them more, I want to say more vulnerable, but more susceptible to being open to listen. You know, crisis brings us, you know. Yeah, I mean, there is a gospel according to Oprah, for sure. 
you know. Uh, but that is that is a valid um, argument that that the lost have. You know, it it's a narrow way. Jesus said it is. You know, it's a narrow path. You know, there's not another way. Not another way. You know. So you know, I I have found really the less church experience a person has, the easier it is to talk to them about, about Christ, you know, because they have no basis point. They have, they have nothing to, um, to go by other than this, you know. But you have to keep talking about your faith, your personal relationship, because we can't see it, but we know it's there, right? We know it. And, you know, I have uh, my friend that runs the funeral home in Mississippi, tells me over and over again how different a funeral is for a Christian than a non-believer. You know, it's just very different. You know? and, and I've had to do a funeral for an unbeliever, or, or so I thought was an unbeliever. I mean, God's really the only one that knows for sure, right? But just the family, the reaction of the family was just horrible. You know, just the pain that they're going through. You know? And, you know, death is a separation for the Christian, too. You know, we're separated from our loved ones, you know. But as Max Licato says, it's see you soon, you know. Verse 30. Now let's look at verse 30. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So maybe the rich man knows his brothers very well. You know, that's why he wanted the messenger to go. The suggestion that they read God's word or even listen to it in the synagogue was met with no. It just wouldn't happen. Probably for the same reason that the rich man himself never heeded the warnings. And you know, there, there, there are people that sit in our pews all over the world that listen and listen and listen and never respond. You know, that, that does happen. You know. So the rich man begs for someone from the dead to go back to them. Surely they would repent if someone from the dead went back and asked them to repent. So Abraham answered that, you know, if the brothers didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, that is, if they didn't read, listen to what was written in the scripture, which included all the warnings of the torments that, that was going on now, they probably would not be convinced even if someone was rising from the dead and appears to them. So notice, notice there's some irony here in Jesus' words. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to do what? He's about to die, you know? And Jesus is fully aware that he's going to rise from the dead, right? He's fully aware of that. Jesus is fully aware that the religious leaders are never going to accept him. You know, they're set in their ways, and Scripture's not going to shake them up, and neither the Son of Man is going to shake them up. So you, you have this hardcore skeptics back then, just like we have today, just hardcore. There's nothing you can say to convince people. Otherwise, it has to be, as you said, the Holy Spirit, you know, prompting them. So if it's an honest or difficult question that someone, an unbeliever, is struggling with, that's going to continue to tug at their heart, you know. And we just have to be the messenger that God asks us to be. Um, uh, you know, you've heard uh, people say that... Um, you know, being an evangelist is being a good salesman, you know. Well, we're really not selling anything, you know. 
I think a better term, and then another term is that we're fishermen. You know, we're supposed to be fishing, okay? Well, you know, it's been a long time since I fished, you know, but doesn't the fish have a choice to take the bait or not, you know? I think a better term is a matchmaker. You know, we need to be matchmakers. We need to be helping two people fall in, helping this person fall in love with Jesus, be a matchmaker. So, if... If we really, as Christians, believed in hell, what prevents us from talking more about it to lost people? It is. It is. Yeah, good people, yeah. Uh, Salt of the earth people, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's okay. You know, you know the best, the, the number one answer given on college test is I don't know. You know. Now you heard about Boudreaux and Thibodeau were caught cheating. Did you hear Boudreaux and Thibodeau were caught cheating? Yeah. So the teacher calls up Boudreaux. You know, you know you were te- you were cheating and everything. And uh, you know Boudreaux said, you know, may I don't cheat? And she said, well, on the test, on number eight, Thibodeau said, I don't know. And you said, I don't know either. <laughs> so, what, what stops us from telling people about Jesus? We don't know the answers, okay? But I'll find out. That's a great question, but I'll find out, you know? I'll meet you anytime, anywhere with the answer to that question. Then you call Mark real quick. <laughs> or call somebody that you know and say, hey, I've got this situation. How do, how do I handle it? You know, Because what that person wants more from you, I mean, initially they, you want them to know Christ, right? But they want really somebody just to love them, you know? And, and I'm going to love you, you know? And, you know, you speak about uh, hell. My, our only daughter was six years old, and we were driving out in rural Georgia, and you know the churches that have the signs with the movable letters, you know, you change the letters, you know, and there's a verse in the Psalms, I wish I could remember it, the reference, but it said, he who does not believe goes to hell. That, that's, their, that's their message on the sign. Now, is that true? Yeah. And so my daughter said, well, that's great marketing, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> you know? So the truth can be very hurtful to people. But you know, there's a way that you don't have to end up in hell. There's a way that you can live forever. And let me tell you how. Let me tell you how. And the, your most powerful weapon is your story, what happened to you. And you know why it's your most powerful weapon? It's your story. Every story is different. Okay? All right. So I've got a little more time. So let's go through the next uh, section here. Jesus said, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will, will repay each person according to what he has done. I thought we would end on a positive note, okay, and look at what we have to look forward to. Because, you know, somebody may say, well, how do I qualify to get into God's kingdom? You know, what do I have to do to get into God's kingdom? And the simple answer is, the work's already been done for you. You don't have to do anything. So, Christ is going to come in His glory. The angels are going to reward each person. Again, Jesus here is using the self-described term of the Son of Man will come again. The, and this time when He comes, He's going to be king and judge. Notice the future tense. He's to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Indicates a second coming. Christ is coming back. The time for a future judgment and a present life ceases and everyone will be repaid for what he has done. And the idea of repayment is taken from Psalm 62, verse 12, where the scripture says, Steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. So we won't be judged on what, we've, what we have done. We'll be judged on what we didn't do with the gifts that God gave us. And so while Jesus calls his followers to deny themselves and take up the cross, the readers back then had a pretty good understanding of what taking up a cross meant because they saw it probably too many times. For Christians today, we just kind of gloss over that, you know, well, I got to do something really hard. No, taking up a cross is dying. You know, we have to die to, to ourselves. all right? Let's look at the next verse. Matthew 19, 28 to 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So this is the, the story of the rich young ruler. Here. And it's interesting, if you read chapter, the first few verses of chapter 20, Jesus says, the la the, here he says the first will be last, and chapter 20 says the last will be first. So you have a great reversal going on. There's no extra charge for that, you know, but sometime when you're running out of stuff to read, read the end of 19 and, and the beginning of 20 together and see how those two stories are, are together. Now, as I said earlier, Peter and the other 11 disciples had paid the ultimate price of following Jesus Christ as, as his original disciples. You know, they left everything. And so they were looking to be paid back in the present time instead of waiting for this. But Jesus is stressing that, no, this is to come for, for you later on. You know? and, and I can only imagine, you know, as the song says, I can only imagine what heaven is going to be like. You know? I can only imagine how great it's going to be. I can only imagine, you know, being able to see Jesus, and, to, and as Scripture says, every knee will bow, you know. And, um, um, uh, and there, there are going to be other denominations in heaven, I hate to tell you that, you know, but there are going to be uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ who are not Baptist, you know, that are going to be there, and it's going to be really, really great. And there will be no argument in heaven, you know. And, you know, I have, I have a good friend that's a running, he's a former running back, from high school and college back in Mississippi, and uh, you know he tells me all the time that you know he's looking forward to playing golf on the wonderful golf course in heaven. Yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really believe that. You know, I think we're we're going to be so 
awestruck at seeing Christ, we're not going to be thinking about playing golf or going fishing or, 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 or bringing that covered dish. You know, we're going to be worshiping. All right, look at Romans 6, 8. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So if we died with Christ, we'll also live with him. That's what it says. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, his followers, us, never need to fear death. Allowing the truth to be absorbed in, in our total being is going to change the way that you live. You know, you know Ron, uh, working, working in a church doesn't, sometimes doesn't pay very well, but retirement is out of this world. You know? And it is for us too. So, we know that we'll live with Christ in eternity, but we also live with him today. We have that privilege of living with Christ today. So that, that assures, us the freedom, assures us of the freedom to enjoy his fellowship, and it can affect everything that we do. Right? Feeling good now about heaven? This place you want to go? Yeah. So stand up right now. Stand up right now. Stand up. If you can, stand up. And if you're, if you're physically able, jump up and down. Now, we're just practicing rapture, okay? Yeah, all right, you sit back down, all right? So, if you're ever looking for something to do, you can do rapture practice, all right? Romans 8, verse 17. And I hear people say, you know, when Christ appears in the sky, I'm going to grab an unbeliever in each arm and, and go up. You know, the scripture says a twinkling of an eye is when he comes back. You know, that's that's like nanoseconds or even shorter time than nanoseconds, you know. All right, Romans, 6, uh, Romans 8, 17. If ch- and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So are you a child of God? Yes, we are. All right. So Paul explains that you've got benefits to be a, of being a child of God. All right. Before our child, before our daughter was born, we were going to adopt. Okay, because we had trouble. Uh, Becky had trouble getting pregnant. Okay, so we were ready to adopt. Now, we didn't. As soon as and this happens a lot, you know, as soon as it was time to take the adopted baby, she gets pregnant. Okay, so we declined the adopted baby so another family could have that benefit. Now, if we had gone through the adoption, how many children would I have? Two. Okay. I, I think he was a boy. I, I, don't, I didn't know that for sure, but I think he was a boy, okay? So I would have a son and a daughter, okay? I have two children, okay? In my will, I would leave everything I have to how many children? Two, because I have two children. Yeah, two children. So we are adopted into God's family, okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, did you know that you're my brother or sister? Ready, go. Now, while you're doing that, go ahead and tell them your birthday and your favorite color and, you know, where you like to eat and and everything like that. So Paul says, here's a promise that we get for being, for the privilege of believing in Christ. And he's writing to to Jews and Gentiles, okay? And and I always always like to say that because I'm not Jewish, so I'm glad that... And I'm glad that I made the cut. Because we're God's children, it says we are heirs. An heir gets privileges, right? Privileges. So think about all the privileges that you have of being a child of God. So in another place, Paul says, so you're no longer a slave, but you're free. And since you're a son, God also made you an heir. And, and it says we are co-heirs 
with Christ, the Son of God. So we're heirs only because of Christ's suffering on our behalf. All right, let's see if I have another verse. 1 Corinthians 15. Well, this is a long run. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Making sense? Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Who's the last Adam? Jesus. Yeah. Now, if you're ever unsure about the answer to a question, okay? Yeah. It's okay to say Jesus because about 99% of the time, you'll be right, okay? You heard about the little five-year-old Sunday school class and the teacher's talking about God's creation and she says, I'm thinking about an animal that's gray and has a furry tail and in the fall it gathers up nuts for the winter. Can somebody tell me what the name of God's creation is? And the little girl said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus, you know. <laughs> so... 99% of the time, you'll be right. The last Adam is Jesus. But it's not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, right? Adam, a man of dust. The second man is from, look what it says, heaven. As he was the man of dust, so also are those who are, are of the dust, that's us, and is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. That's us, too. We are of heaven because we are co-heirs with Christ. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, and there it is, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. So, what's Paul saying here? First, the physical bodies are perishable, but raised bodies are imperishable. You won't need that cane. You won't need that walker, you know. You'll be able to do cartwheels again, you know. No more pain, Scripture tells us. No more tears, no more pain, okay. The raised in Christ will have bodies that will never die, that will live forever, that will live forever, forever. So, Paul is just pointing out the two points of Scripture, okay. Now, um, for homework... 
and we won't take this up, okay? But for homework, you need to answer the questions 7, 8, and 9, okay? On your quiet time, okay? Is that deal? We won't take them up for a grade. It'll be up to you, okay? And my favorite, my favorite, sometimes we'll, if I get another opportunity, we'll look at um, what uh, heaven talks about or what the book of Revelation talks about in heaven. Okay? Deal? Deal. All right. Uh, question or comment? I got two minutes. Yes, sir. No, grace is not something that, it's just not tangible. You know, we can't touch it, okay? But were you always the perfect man that you are today? Were you always, yeah, you know? And, and that's a great line that you can tell somebody, you know, I wouldn't always die like this, you know? <laughs> I had a terrible life before. Now, you don't need to go into all your terrible things that happened in your life because an unbeliever could look at you and say, well, if anybody needed to go to heaven, you certainly needed to, do, to go to heaven, you know? So you might need to filter your story, you know, like I did some bad things, which I'm not proud of, you know. But exactly right. God can take anything because he took us. He took us, all right? Yeah. When you're talking to an unbeliever, just be you because you can't be anything else. Just be you. Okay, one more minute. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a subject that's overlooked in many churches. You know, and I have a good friend. He's now in his eighties, and he preaches on hell. And his uh, his staff in one staff meeting told him that he was offending the congregation. He said, I'm offending you. I'm, what, what am I saying? He said, well, you're preaching on hell. He said, well, I guess I'll just keep offending you. You know? No. Yeah, God, but again, God doesn't send anybody to hell. It's a, it, it's a choice that, that we have, you know? Because... I mean, let's be honest. We all have our short list of people we want to see in hell, right? <laughs> right? You know? But it doesn't work that way. You know, it's a good thing we're not God because who would make it? You know? No. And, 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 and the other thing about, the other thing about, and I'll let you go, the other thing about this is about, you know, when we start comparing things, you know, comparing ourselves to other people, you know, somebody that did a lot of good things versus me that didn't do a lot of good things, you know, if it, if it was a merit system, you know, if I was standing in line and somebody was talking about all the good things that they did, I would be trying to think of some way that I could lie to, you know, come up with something better so that I could get in. But praise the Lord, it's not based on works. It's based on faith by faith by grace in Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, we'll be presented with opportunities to uh, speak your name uh, to unbelievers, and when that time comes, we're confident, as the Scripture tells us, that the Holy Spirit will be present to give us the words to say. We'll look back on that time and, and know that it wasn't us speaking, but it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, help us to have opportunities to talk about heaven versus hell and the real places that they are. And we are grateful for our pastor and for this church that stands on the Word of God. Uh, Guide us as we go to our separate homes and bring us back safely at the next appointed time. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.